Those of us living here in good old USA know that classical Christian schools are on the rise. But the amazing story is what God is also doing around the world. It is equally inspirational. Faithful school leaders and teachers are planting schools all across the globe, and students, regardless of their surrounding culture, are experiencing transformed minds and hearts and souls impacting the next generation of students and their extended families and their unique countries and settings. So regardless of where you are on the planet, wherever you're listening from today, you're going to be encouraged by the stories here from my guest, a conversation live from Indonesia that you do not want to miss on this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens here, grateful as always. You've taken a moment to listen. You know, as we go into the new year, it's an opportunity for us to continue to enhance this podcast, extend the reach, extend the content, the experience. If you've not been to BasecampLive.com, it's a fairly basic website. It is a way for you to search through the 228-ish podcasts in there on a range of topics, from parenting topics to uh, classroom uh, educational topics. All of these things are part of the Basecamp Live topic set. As we go into the new year, we're probably going to add a video component to it. So if you can, you want to watch us, you can do that too. Um, we'll add over uh, some opportunities to plug in on YouTube and other places to deliver the podcast, other than the players that you're probably on right now on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we're there as well. But all that to say, we really want this podcast to be helpful to you. And what are the topics that are important to you as a parent or an educator? You'll have an opportunity in the survey to give us those ideas for feedback, as well as just ways to tweak the format of the podcast. All that is coming soon. Uh, we're going to be using the newsletter email list. If you're not on it, I do encourage you just go to basecamplive.com. And when you get there, it should have a box that um, pops up that allows you to add your email. We will not spam you. It's just a way to remind you when each episode drops. And on these occasions where we get feedback, we can reach out to you. Of course, you can always just email info at basecamplive.com. In this episode, as always, we say thanks to our sponsors, Classical Academic Press, CLT, that's the Classic Learning Test, and the Focus Group. I sit down in this episode with Denise and Wade Strickland, and their story is one of faithful obedience from the comforts of an established K-12 classical Christian school in Texas to a very small startup in East Asia almost two decades ago. Their humble school is now a light throughout their part of the world. They have 800-plus students. They have more than 10 schools throughout that region of the world, from Vietnam to Malaysia, looking to them as a model. Denise, who serves as the head of school, along with her husband, Wade, Wade teaches 8th grade English and literature and serves as the school's director of academic program. The two of them join me, along with Riren, who is one of their Indonesian colleagues, and the curriculum team coordinator. It is an encouraging conversation wherever you are around the planet. God is doing great work. So be encouraged with this interview that we'll jump into right now. Well, welcome to Basecamp Live. Uh, what a joy and privilege, Denise, Wade, uh, Riren. Welcome to this podcast. I think this is the first time in five years we've ever had a live from the other side of the world, from Indonesia. I'm so glad to have you here. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. We're so glad to be here. 
So D- Denise, we're going to go around and kind of do a brief introduction. But Denise, you and Wade have been you've been listening to pot, to ba- base camp for some time, right? And we ran too. Yeah. yeah. I'm a little bit of a fangirl, for sure. Well, it's great to have you on this side of the interview. So we're going to jump right in. I I am so encouraged by your story. I say often on the podcast, classical Christian education is is growing uh, around the world. And, and, I, and I think people are like, well, that's sort of just an exaggeration. But like, no, 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 it's really growing around the world. And God is doing remarkable things. And there's a lot we can learn here in the U.S. with what God is doing through folks around the world. So we're going to hear this whole story uh, of what God is doing there. But Denise, why don't you just kind of start us out a little bit of your story. So you were at the Regent School in Austin. Back us up however many years ago that was and kind of what happened to get you from Texas to Indonesia. Yeah. So, I mean, Wade and I were raising our children in the suburbs of Austin, Texas, and we uh, discovered classical Christian education at Regents and just fell in love with it. And it just, you know, we couldn't believe there was something that was uh, that good for our children and for us as a family. And um, the Lord just allowed me to begin teaching third grade there. And um, so we had our three kids enrolled and here I am teaching third grade, just loving um, what I'm learning as a teacher, because what I'm learning as a teacher is then sort of spilling out into my family life and um, was really enjoyable. Um, So yeah, just teaching school in third grade. And this um, one day I just had a dream and um, it was a very clear dream. It was a, like a vision. And I woke up and told my husband, there's, you know, somewhere in a Muslim nation somewhere, there's a, there's somebody that needs to know about Jesus. It's like a man and he's in a living room and there's like this whole group of people behind him. And in my dream, I'm like holding a Bible and I'm handing it to him. And he says to me, we've been waiting for someone to come and share this with us. And, you know, then I woke up and so I told my husband, I don't know where that is. I don't know what that means, but I think we need to start praying because someone in a Muslim nation needs to know Jesus and somehow we're supposed to be praying for that. So I mean, this is just astounding. It's like, this sounds like something out of the Bible. I mean, were you, are you, were you prone to sort of messages from God in your dreams? Is this something that, you know, you kind of named your kids because you heard all these dreams or is this like a totally new thing? I mean, it sounds amazing. Right. So, um, no, this was not a, a normal occurrence. And, um, and it was, it was so odd that I even knew clearly that that was something from the Lord and not just a crazy wacky dream. Like right. I just knew, you know, just the Holy spirit was like, this is from the Lord. Yeah. And so yeah, we just began praying. And then, and so, so Wade, pick up the story. Cause I'm sure you were thinking, you know, my wife had too much pizza last night. What is she talking about? Um, and the next, and then, and then it was only what three months or so between the dream and when you all decided you're going to leave everything and and move to Indonesia, Southeast Asia, on the other side of the world. Is that Wade? Kind of tell us what's what was your side of the story? Yeah, that's right. And and you know, for me, at the very same time as Denise had this dream, I was um, working as a uh, in the high tech world in Austin, Texas, as a manager of programmers. And I've got a a lot of education in my background. I'm an electrical engineer and a master's in biology. And I love teaching, actually. But I'm working as an IS manager. We've been working for two years on a project. And I'm getting really sort of burnt out on that world and feeling like my life was not really contributing something eternal. So I wanted something more of eternal value. And so at the same time, I was praying, what is the next move for me? What should we be doing in this life? 
And so as Denise told me about that dream, she also told me then shortly after of a letter she received from this school in Indonesia where they're trying to start, um, they've been using some classical curriculum and they want to start at a school and they want to continue they're starting sort of this homeschool um, type co-op and wanting to build it into a school and they need help. And so, you know, she told me about that opportunity and I said, um, look into it. Let's see what's going on there. And maybe this is what God's calling us to do. Wow. And through a, a long, you know, just it's a kind of a long story of ways that God just confirmed that, yes, he's got a plan for us there. And it actually involved classical education, right? And, and it was <laughs> so exciting because it felt like something that um, truly we could make an impact, not only for the gospel, but in kids' lives yeah. in many different ways. Well, I, I, we're going to get into some of these interesting, I mean, of all things, classical Christian education and the roots that were there and then what you've extended out. Um, so, um, Rerun, I'd love to hear your your story too. So you, so wh- how long have you been at this school and what's been your experience um, as far as uh, the different roles that you've played? I know parent and teacher as well. Yeah, so I joined Cahaya Bangsa uh, in 2007 as a third grade teacher's assistant. And then after that, I became the second grade teacher. And also uh, years later, I became the vice principal of the grammar school. And also uh, after that, I became the principal of the grammar school. Then in 2014, I had to resign because I delivered my baby at that moment. And I became the full-time mother for around three or four years. Then my daughter come to school, joined CBCS uh, as the kindergarten student. In the same moment, at the same time, I also became the teacher here. I uh, came back to CBCS as a curriculum team. And now, currently, I am the curriculum uh, coordinator. Curriculum coordinator. Uh, wow. So you've, you really, you've worn many hats um, at this school. So let's talk a little bit, just again, kind of orient folks who probably um, might struggle to figure out where you're located on a globe. Uh, you're in Southeast Asia. <laughs> I guess the nearest city is it Jakarta, maybe? Is that would be where you'd fly into if you're kind of coming uh, from this? In Bandung. Okay. Bandung city. Okay. And yeah. I don't know that I could find that on a map, but just... Uh, <laughs> Uh, two hours driving from two Jakarta. Two hours, okay. Yeah, two hours driving from so, Jakarta. Jakarta is our capital city, right? Yeah, so Denise, tell us how, so when you guys, you had the dream, you made the decision to go, the school's obviously already started. So who had started it? And, and maybe just a quick snapshot of kind of your size, your reach, What where are you today? And then maybe we'll back up to some of those earlier days. So uh, we're going to start our 20th year as a school next year. And so that's just kind of remarkable and astounding in and of itself. Um, Now, uh, this year, we have 833 students preschool through grade 12 on a single campus. We have um, 123 teachers and we have about 150 staff and faculty combined. And uh, we have over 500 families. And, um, you know, it's just been an amazing journey because when they started um, in 2003, they had 13 homeschool students, right? And about two or three families. And every year they just grew exponentially. And so when we came in 2007, um, you know, I I met Rirena's assistant and we were just um, 
kind of fresh on the ground. And what I did was teach third grade and, you know, in America at Regents. And so I brought, you know, Chuck Evans' brand new book, Wisdom and Eloquence. And I was like using that as kind of my, like my Bible for like, what do you do? All things gospel yeah. and Christian, you know? And so, um, I mean, I knew nothing. I taught third grade, right? Yeah. So well, I, I got, I, yeah. It's amazing. Well, I mean, that is, you know, I think by, again, kind of by U.S. standards in terms of age maturity, you know, you're probably in the top, whatever, 10, 10%, 20% of schools in terms of just who've been at this. I mean, most schools that are, the, I mean, how old is Regents right now? Probably 20. A little over 20. Yeah, I think they're getting close to 25. Yeah, it seems like it's really interesting. I mean, there's, there's a whole nother podcast for another day, like, you know, what happened in the early 80s and schools got started in the 90s. And, you know, this is a very kind of... And this is exciting because now this maturity is starting to happen. And I just think, again, it's easy for us to get a little kind of ethnocentric here in our American bubble. And we think, oh, well, I'm sure there's some missionaries over there. And I'm sure it's probably, you know, 10 kids in a small basement room. I mean, I've Google Earthed your campus. I mean, you have a beautiful property there and all the, quote, bells and whistles of a, you know, a a big school here in the U.S. um, and, And yet you're in a completely different context. Talk a little bit about... What is it, what is the Indonesian culture like? I, I know that's a long question, but I mean, just in terms of kind of if you if you got off the plane and you looked around, like what would be some of the distinctives that um, one would encounter? We talk in a moment about how that impacts the classroom, but just what are some of those distinctives? Yeah, so for for Wade and I, the things that we love about Indonesia that's so different from the United States is that there is um, a very slow um, pace of time in the sense that, um, you know, time is not a cultural value in the same way um, it is in the West. And so people are prioritized over efficiency and time. So that can be a frustration at times, but that can also be something actually quite lovely and quite biblical. Um, You see things from a biblical perspective, like the Bible really comes to life here because um, in some ways it feels like time is has stood still and you see like a guy out there with his oxen and a plow, you know, and a rice paddy. And you're like, wow, that's like, there's more efficient ways to do that. Right. We think in the West and we're like, but that's how this guy is earning his living. So there's this very communal aspect, very hospitable aspect um, to life and um, a togetherness. There's a, a unity that is found here that, is so different from the West where it's so individualized. I'm t- as you're talking, like, I think everybody's like, can we come now to join you? Because we are, I think, feeling that sense. Everything you just described, I think probably the majority of people listening immediately resonate with. We, we've lost something really special here in our rat race world, which I know you know well. Um, what about just kind of the, I mean, being a classical Christian, classical and Christian school, maybe starting on the Christian piece, what's it like to be, a Christian school in your setting? I mean, what are the other faith systems around you? How does that impact you? Yeah, so I'm going to um, share a little bit, and then I'm going to let Reveen share a little bit from her perspective, because yeah. as, as an Indonesian, she'll have a unique perspective. Um, so this is a Muslim-majority nation. In fact, Indonesia is the largest Muslim-majority nation in the world. And like you said, Davies, when we first heard Indonesia, I literally was in my third grade classroom 
The <laughs> Holy Spirit was like, this is where you're going to go. I had to stand up from my desk and go look at the world map that was on my wall mm-hmm. to go find Indonesia. Cause I'm like, Indonesia, what is that? Where is that? So it's like over 17,000 islands, um, you know, in this giant archipelago, right. That you have across uh, sort of going underneath Singapore and Southeast Asia, heading over towards um, Australia. And you're right in the tropics. Um, so it's just a, you know, you got two seasons, wet season and dry season. And um, it's it's a very, very interesting um, place that you have majority Muslim people here. Um, it doesn't mean everyone is Muslim, but the, and it's not a Muslim um, government per se, it's pluralistic. But um, Muslim influence is everywhere. You see it everywhere. Then you also have a good number of Hindus and Buddhists. And then Christians are a very small minority. But you're you're accepted there. This is not, you know, and in some parts of the world, unfortunately, you have to be very secretive or you will be in in, in trouble trying to present the gospel. So it sounds like you've got freedom there, which is great. Yeah, we do. We, yeah. That's the pluralistic yeah. government part. Right. Reven could speak. Yeah, Reven, go ahead. I'd love to hear your your perspective. Yeah. So here, maybe because uh, especially in Bandung, Bandung is quite a big city. So uh, it's it gives us more freedom uh, because Indonesia is very huge, right? We have so many islands. Maybe the story will be different if I am living in Papua or I'm living in Aceh, another part of Indonesia. But here in Bandung, yeah, uh, there's no resistance from our neighbor government. So yeah, it's a privilege also being a classical Christian school here. We can share our faith to the students. And from the parents' perspective, we receive something different from what we have received when we were at school, when we were young. We see everything now more integrated while we used not to think that way. For example, when we learn about literature or history or even religion, we saw it differently as a separate things or subject. But having this kind of education here, it teaches the parents and the families also to see everything as one solid integration with Christ as the center. So that makes our families and parents excited. And uh, it, it also educates us as parents and also family, things that we learn here at school, things that our students learn here uh, is brought by the students to home, mm. including the Christianity faith. So we grow uh, more mature in our Christian faith because of this classical Christian education. That's beautiful. Well, we know, yeah, we know God more. We know him more. Yeah. So everything that the students learn here. Well, and we'll talk in a bit about just the role of parents because it's it's refreshing the level of engagement and interest. And to your point, Rerun, just the whole family is drawn into this. It's it's a it's a family. You know, often I we say, um, or I've said in, when I've been head of school and in schools, you know, a lot of families will say, uh, we found a, a a school for our child, but we ended up with a community for our family. And I, I think that's universally true in classical Christian education. I think clearly there, there's even an added emphasis of just the the joy. And I think it goes back to what you described earlier, Denise, just the, the pace of life, the ability to really think and reflect and be in community with one another. So often we're, you know, zipping around in our 
SUVs and with 15 appointments and no one has time to really have a conversation. So, well, we talked about this. So that's the, again, we're going through, this could be like a three hour podcast. We'll try to get through it um, in a little less time. Um, but I, you know, so we talked about the Christian element of the culture and of the school. I'd love to shift topics and, and uh, or shift over to the classical side of it because it's very intriguing uh, to be there in the, in Indonesia. And certainly I think one of the things that we often as Western classical Christian educators here, even in, domestically, is just you you all are kind of hung up on the West and why is the West, you know, maybe, maybe even a, a negative impression that the West has not been so friendly to the rest of the world or whatever it may be. And yet this is, is the right and best education. So how did, uh, even before you got, the, you got there, Denise and Wade, the school had already discovered classical education, it sounds like. Wade, maybe with your role, especially, and I probably haven't mentioned this, but Wade, you're, you're not only director of academic programming, but teaching eighth grade English and literature. So talk a little bit about the classical aspect historically and, and currently for the school or at the school. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's, it sort of was a, um, I guess the thing is, once we're in Indonesia, um, there is a, the, the education system that we sort of came into when we first came in here was one in which, um, you know, edu- memorizing what the teacher said, spitting it back, that was what education was. And so even in the early days of Chahaya Bangsa Classical School, the idea was, how do we educate kids in a way in which they learn how to think critically about the world they live in? And so, um, and so while the, the parents that we sort of became involved with had no, um, you know, they, they didn't know the classical books, they didn't know how literature and history kind of fit together, and, and even, even how you would make history as sort of a backbone to um, education. And so, but as we began talking to them, that's what they wanted. It's something, and it wasn't that easy, that difficult to, to, to convince grammar school parents, especially, that this is an education that teaches kids how to think critically. And we can start by using history as our foundation hmm. and literature as well. Yeah. Well, that's, our, go ahead, Denise. Yeah. I was just going to say, and I would add to that, that we were very, um, maybe naive in the beginning. And as we grew in maturity across the school, we began realizing that we don't want to make Westerners and we want to make sure that we're communicating to our context here that you are Indonesians and you need to love your country and be proud of your country and think about how God is working and moving in the East. And so what can we look back and learn from the West? It's not that the West was superior. It's really that God chose the West as the vehicle for the gospel. And so we see that nothing in Western culture and literature and history and art has been untouched by the gospel. The gospel has really been infused into all of that. And so we want to look back at that. And even in ancient Greek and Roman history, we see that it's like, you know, the myth that, you know, that, what is it uh, that, you know, Christ is, is the myth made fact, right? And mm. so like those myth stories are really the origins and the yearnings in the heart of man asking those big questions of why am I here? What's wrong with the world? How do I fix it? What's purpose? So those kind of things help us think about who we are and our place in the world and who God is and what he's revealed to us through the creation. And, you know, if all truth is God's truth, then anything that we study is going to reveal more of the character in the heart of God. 
so so the just in terms of the history of the school, was it a founding pastor you said that had sort of initiated the classical into the into right. the okay. Right. So what happened is you had this little uh, pastor, you know, shepherding this little church and, and his family were homeschooling classical Christian education. And it was really like Wade said that it was the impulse of the parents, not unlike what we see back in the eighties with the beginning and the, and the birth of classical Christian education in America, where you have families who said, I want something different for my children than what what I experienced or what I see happening in the school system. So here in particular, to ask a question of a teacher was viewed as the greatest insult. Mm. If you were a student in the classroom and you ask a teacher, um, excuse me, I didn't understand that. Could you re-explain that? You're basically saying to the teacher here, you are a terrible teacher. You did not do a good job teaching me. And so you're insulting them. So questions are bad. So you think about that. If you have a whole... Um, generation or several generations that have grown up thinking that to ask a question is wrong, that kills your curiosity. It kills imagination. It kills creativity and it kills their passion, really, you know, their inspiration for learning and for life. Everything becomes utilitarian. And I think that's pretty typical internationally. I've been in Rwanda on four different occasions working with a classical school there, but they've struggled with that because they kind of sit and get and don't talk and just repeat back the 10 things that we just taught you in bullet point form. That's with not no understanding with no whatsoever. No, which I think is probably a commentary. That's probably not too far actually from what a lot of schools in the U S do just in terms of, you know, it's teach to the test and all of that, which uh, obviously is counter in every way to what classical Christian education is all about. We're going to take a quick break. I want to come back and, and hear some stories because there are so many lives that have been impacted, students, faculty, parents, and otherwise. Um, tell me the, the name, Chahaya Bangsa, as a school, what does that word mean? I'll let Riri Yeah, that. T- tell me what... <laughs> yeah, and, and say it really well, because uh, I'm sure my, my uh, accent there probably didn't do justice to it, but go ahead. Chahaya, Chahaya is the light. 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 Okay. Yeah. Life. Okay. Bangsa is nations. Wow. So, Bangsa is the light for the nation. That's that. <laughs> wow. That is a beautiful. So you. That's that's quite a um, a, a audacious title in a wonderful way. We're going to be the light to the nations. And when we come back here and uh, after this break, I want to talk about some of the impact that your school is having, just the faithfulness of those founders, your faithfulness to continue it on, and now an impact throughout Southeast Asia, you will really have become a light uh, to the nations around you. And it's, it's beautiful and exciting. We'll be right back and continue this amazing conversation. Gordon College is one of the nation's premier Christian colleges and located just north of Boston. We offer students extraordinary access to leading-edge opportunities for intellectual, professional, and leadership development. We prepare graduates for the increasingly complex challenges of a global society. In the tradition of Boston's great liberal arts institutions, we are what Harvard used to be, a place where a strong faith and a strong intellect are complementary, not contradictory. Gordon is a place where we be better prepared for a greater purpose. Find out for yourself. Check out gordon.edu and plan a visit to campus. Welcome back. Uh, what a what an amazing uh, conversation, Denise Wade. Um, 
Rerin, as I think about the work you're doing, and again, just trying to get my head around your move from Texas, uh, we were just saying there during the break, uh, Wade, maybe you can comment a little bit on just sort of the number, the population. So you're, as I understand it, they're on this island that you're on, there are, is it 99.95% of the people around you on the island, of which around you on the island means, uh, what, uh, 40 million people? <laughs> is that is that the number you were giving me? Yeah, so there are, there are a few different people groups on the island of Java. There's Sundanese and Javanese are the main two people groups. And then there's a population of, of ethnically Chinese Indonesians. And the where we live in West Java, we're in the middle of the Sundanese people group. There's about 40 million Sundanese people. Okay. On the whole island of Java, we've got about 153 million people. So it's a lot of people. And and the size of Java is about one fifth the size of Texas. So it's a so, very dense, it's the most densely populated island in the world. So somebody's complaining it's, about traffic in Dallas and Houston. They just they have no idea what they're talking about. So it sounds like it really. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but seven hour trips from Jakarta to Bandung before. Okay. Yeah, which is yeah. But but the so the point ninety nine point nine percent are unreached, meaning they are completely un, unaware of the gospel. So. You all are there very much with a missional vision. I mean, the very name of the schools we just talked about before the break. And so talk about the impact. Obviously, the fruit of classical Christian education, everyone listening to this podcast, I think for the most part would say, absolutely, it's the it's the best bet, if you will, for the next generation. We have 16,000 hours over this K-12 journey to day-by-day day faithfully pour in truth, goodness, and beauty. I mean, we all know that, but what you're seeing is, to me, almost electrifying in terms of the Spirit is at work, not only impacting your teachers and your students, but the families and part of that 99.95% out there. So talk about this, what you're seeing every day. Yeah, so at our school in particular, our primary um uh, our audience, so to speak, or our clients at our school are a lot of ethnic Chinese Christians. And it, just like in America, you can be um, Chinese on your ID, I mean, ethnic, ethnic uh, Christian on your um, ID card, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're really a faithful practicing Christian. Sure. So in Indonesia, you have to have a religion and you can't be atheist. And so you've got to choose a religion. So you've got a lot of people that say they're Christian, but maybe not. But um, here, we have so much discipleship opportunity to disciple into families and students, but also to help them think outside of just their ethnic Chinese Christian bubble. Um, Ririn is Javanese, and then we have uh, teachers who are Batak, and we have teachers that are from Ambon. So we have teachers from all across the different islands here as well. But the people group that we live among are the Sundanese. And so making inroads for the gospel there, one of the best ways to do that is really through the vehicle of education. Because when you produce students of high moral character and who are really um, beautiful individuals who love the Lord and serve their nation and are gracious, that is very and successful economically. That's very winsome, and it allows us an opportunity to um, to speak the gospel into that. Yeah, Ririn, what are you seeing having grown up there? When you look at the contrast, I guess, of the surrounding culture and then the students and families at the school, what are you seeing? Yeah, um, it's a privilege, but also a challenge for us in the same time. Um, it makes us, especially the, the teachers here, to keep educating our students 
to lead them to teach to see their surrounding so become the light for the nations first to become the light for their neighbors for their neighborhood but here uh, in our school particularly because of the values that we teach our students i can say that i can see the fruit from our students they learn they learn how to live well with the surrounding with the neighbors uh, to apply what they learn here to apply their faith in christ uh, to their own uh, daily action and daily activities treat others very well like our um, janitors most of them are sundanese and our security guard also um, that's the close neighbors that our students can meet here and seeing them uh, welcome uh, the security and say hi be kind uh, to them every day uh, i think is one of the good examples and how they treat their mitzvah and how they interact with the yeah. students around here uh, public schools here uh, yeah i think that what we can see and also like here we have an earthquake recently here you have an, in, uh, an earth did you say earthquake yes okay in Cianjur, which is the place for the sunda people and we see the excitement of the parents and the students to provide help and yeah. they donate books and everything that they can do uh i think that's one of the examples yeah. So you're truly love you're truly loving your neighbor, and it sounds like you're uh, and you're and you're distinct from perhaps others in the community. I mean, not only because of your faithfulness, but just your wince, you're articulate, you're thoughtful, and these students, like you were saying, that can just uh, talk to the security guard. Who is this child? Why are they so articulate and winsome? Yeah, that's beautiful. No, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, and you know, Wade and I have had the privilege um, in Chandra. There's a very little tiny population of. Sunda Christians that is a very, very tiny, 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 small group of uh, people there. And we have had the privilege of um, working with their uh, university students who have come from this little Sunda village. And they are Christian Sunda university students who, by God's grace and design, have received full scholarship at the Muslim university down the street from us that teaches the educators. So they're all, they all got full scholarships, full wow. ride, wow. this education college. So we've got about five or six of them. And just the way the Lord connected our paths is crazy, but here we all are. They come over to our house for dinner. We're discipling them. Their vision, they're, they're in their, you know, ending final years of university there. They've come and they've watched us teach here at CBCS. They've been on campus and toured. They've been asking lots of questions. Their vision um, is to create and to open a classical Christian school for their own people so that they can then uh, bring their own people to wow. faith in Christ. Also provide a safe and secure place for Christian students that are soon to need to uh, grow up and be discipled without persecution because every one of those kids were deeply, deeply persecuted mm. during their growing up years because of their faith. What a story. Wow. Uh, wow. Wait, any any particular stories of students or families come to mind that really em embody the the vision of the school lived out? 
Yeah, the, many years ago when we first started, um, we decided to arrange this kind of a get to know the neighbors event, meet the neighbors. We're gonna go into what we call the little village, the Kampung next to us and get to know these, um, these people there and start a relationship that hopefully could develop. And I remember I had some ninth grade or eighth, ninth grade students and I was so excited about this event. And, and a few days before the event, I went into class and I said, how many of you guys are just as excited as I am about this meet the neighbors thing. And I thought they were all gonna raise their hands because I've been talking about it for, for weeks and nobody raised their hand. And I thought maybe they didn't hear me. So I said it again. And finally, um, one student raised their hand and said, Mr. Strickland, we hate those people. And I could not believe it because there's a history of ethnic Chinese and Sundanese um, sort of uh, violence that, that mm. occurred maybe 10 years before this. And it occurred to me right then what our goals were and our mission and our vision for our students was. It was not so much to get into the Kampung as much as it was to work with our students about how they relate to the people around them. Mm -hmm. And so how important that was. And, and that same girl had such a wonderful experience meeting the children in the, in the Kampung nearby that it was just incredible, incredible experience of God's uh, power. That's beautiful. Go ahead, Denise. Yeah. Our parents were scared to death to do this. Um, they, they thought that it was unsafe, that we were crazy. And, um, you know, we said, you know, I, I think that the Lord's words in Matthew speak to all of us at all time and they transcend any, um, you know, cultural context and they transcend any historical background. And so really leading our community of teachers and students and parents to go do something that felt very scary and uncomfortable and step out of their comfort zone and out of their little Christian bubble and say, there is a group of people that need Jesus. And we don't have to go, um, proclaim that loudly. We just need to start by being their friend. Yeah, yeah. We can make friends with them. Then the Lord can do the rest. Well, it's a, it's a remarkable story of impact. And I always think of that one book, um, impact me years ago, Rodney Stark, a sociologist wrote on the rise, it's called the rise of Christianity. And he just basically, uh, looks at it from a sociological standpoint. How is it that this motley band of followers of this guy Jesus wearing sandals in the first century became the impact that it, it has become and billions of people around the world. And one thing was just the the consistency over the over the centuries of Christians who were willing to kind of run into the fire to get you know step into the into the difficulty, be it the black plague, so let's go care for our neighbor when everyone else is running the other way. But what you're describing is raising up a generation of students that truly love their neighbor and have a vision for deep care, which is immediately strikingly different from the surrounding culture, whether you're in Indonesia or in the U.S. That's a that's a character trait I think we deeply aspire to with our students. What impact, before we're, we're going to get a break again, I want to come back after the break and we're going to talk more about just some of the transferable lessons that sort of coming from the U.S. there, what would you bring back to us, be it parents and teachers? But before we go there, just talk about, again, you've mentioned to me several times the impact on parents. I think Again, there's an, all classical Christian schools probably have somewhere, at least on their website, the word in loco parentis, which is really saying, hey, we biblically believe that this is uh, your job, parents, to raise your children. We are simply here to come alongside you. you can't, it's not just outsource them to the school. We all believe that. But what I think we struggle in that probably more than any other 
place on the globe just because of the nature, as we described earlier, of our culture. What do you see there as some of the blessings of parents? Because students are clearly being impacted that impacts families at large. I think Rerene should answer that. <laughs> sure. So um, we see the fruit from our children, yeah, that study at school. <laughs> they bring something from school that makes parents amazed. They can um, articulate what they learn at school. For example, what they've learned. They, they learn how to persuade people. They learn how to speak eloquently. They, they learn how to think wisely. And parents see the fruit. Parent, or parents feel it, parent, parents experience it. But when it, when it comes to school, to the classes, we saw the rhetoric students do the thesis defense. The parents saw that, wow, we heard the students recite the books of efficiency. The parents saw that the students learn how to learn, not only learn about something, learn how to think. It so, really blessed the parents. so do parents do any, I know in the U.S. sometimes we try to do like parent education nights and we try to bring, because parents, Some, I think years ago I did a podcast with George Grant um, and I think it was provocatively entitled, um, I Got Gypped. And it was just sort of this awareness as an adult that who for so many of us did not have classical Christian education. So we kind of got gypped in our education and we see our students and we think, wow, what an amazing experience. Are you bringing parents into give them opportunities for supplemental education and supplemental parenting skills? What does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, parent discipleship is really a huge focal point because, um, you know, we believe that, um, like you said, in loco parentis. And so that's a, a word that we have to explain to our parents here because very much so here, if you have any means of wealth, you view um, the school as kind of a way to outsource. You have nannies, you have, you know, all those kind of pimbantus is what they call them here. And, and your parents are really working hard on earning a living, especially these ethnic Chinese Christians that are very, very, they're the small business owners and the big business owners, and they're kind of creating the wealth of the economy here. And so they sometimes view creating money as love for their children and not spending time and nurturing and discipling them. So we have a lot of opportunity to speak into parents' lives of, you know, it's a three-legged stool, you know, it's got to be family, church, and school all working together, giving the same message. Yeah. And, um, what we do here, though, probably is function a little more closely to a church at times because we have parents that aren't always connected into a dynamic growing community of believers and theological instruction here can tend to be um, very influenced by the shame mm. uh, the shame, honor, shame culture that we have in Asia. And so it kind of tends to be a list of do's and don'ts versus really understanding who God is and who we mm. are, and our need for Christ, right? And what it means to live in um, a sanctified life. So we sort of um, 
have a, a beautiful platform to disciple parents a little deeper in their faith with a little more theological foundational understandings and walk them through how to be good parents and how to grow in their faith. And of course, just like parents all over the world, they want their children to have a life that's better than what they have. So, so is, they're very open and eager for that. Do you actually, for, I know there's a lot of school leaders listening, thinking how do how do we do that practically? Well, I mean, Basecamp podcast is probably a pretty good idea. <laughs> but no, and seri- seriously, the, what do you have classes? Do you offer a supplemental opportunity? Okay, what is that? So that's what does that look like? So we have two parenting seminars that are school wide. Um, well, actually, we do one school wide, usually in the first semester, where it's kind of all ages, all parents come together, and we're going to do one big kind of overarching topic. So for this uh, last year, for instance, we just did sex education, and we did how you know taboo or not taboo, how to how to talk to your kids about sex, because we see this wave coming from the West, right? The LGBTQ movement, we see it even in Singapore now, where they've uh, changed the law about, you know, it's not criminal behavior now to, you know, engage in same-sex behavior, but we still believe in the traditional nuclear family, so it's all kind of ambiguous mm. and messy, yeah. right? And so... Yeah, because of Islam, in some ways, we have a really beautiful covering. And so we're a little more insulated from it. But at the same time, our kids are very Western. And through the pandemic, especially Pandora's box was wide open. And we can't put it all back in, right? And right. so we're saying, how do we equip them to engage with that? Yeah. And know God's perspective on it. So we just did a huge parenting seminar. And we had, like, I think 600 parents and faculty and staff all join in on our wow. Zoom wow. webinar while we did a two-hour seminar on that. And then we followed out with um, grade-level parent conversations where we'll just have like the principal, the counselor and me will sit and have like a monthly, like, okay, seventh grade this month, eighth grade next month, ninth grade, the month after that. So we just have, if you want to come and chat more about that, have a smaller group to talk about it, let's do that. So we can figure out how do we do this thing called life together and how do we do it from a Christian worldview? Well, it's, it, it's interesting Denise, from my perspective, both when you travel Outside the U.S., I think that our, as Americans, I think our tendency is to recognize pretty quickly we've got to make, uh, we've got to adapt to this new setting. Whereas in the U.S., I think it's sometimes we feel like, well, everybody just thinks the same way, or we're, you know. And I wonder, you know, I, what you're describing in terms of parent training and support is something really that we need as much as your parents need. It's just sometimes easier to forget that here because we kind of assume we're all kind of thinking the same way. But those barbarians at the gates, if you will, the the outsiders are coming in quickly and we do need to arm up and think about that. So why don't we take a break? Cause I want to end this, you know, kind of our last segment really talking about just some of the, along these lines, what are some of the practical uh, strategies, messages that you all have discovered there as far as walking next to teachers, walking next to parents that I think could actually be very helpful wherever you are on the planet um, as far as raising up the next generation. So we'll be right back and continue this fascinating and encouraging conversation. Hey there, I'm Jeremy Tate, founder of CLT or the Classic Learning Test. Here at CLT, we are big fans of the Basecamp Live podcast, and we're honored to work alongside all of you in the classical renewal movement. In addition to our beautiful standardized assessments for grades 3 through 12, CLT also produces a podcast called Anchor that we think Basecamp listeners will enjoy as well. Anchored explores the intersection of education and culture, and it features conversations with leaders across the entire renewal movement, from college presidents and professors 
to heads of schools and organizational leaders. If you want to stay up to date on all that's been going on in education and in the renewal movement, please check out CLT's Anchored Podcast. That's A-N-C-H-O-R-E-D. And visit our website at www.cltexam.com slash Basecamp. He's worked with families for more than 30 years as a licensed professional counselor and marriage family therapist. It's time for a quick encouragement on the best practices of raising the next generation. We call it a McCurdy moment. All right, Keith, really basic question here for you. Are there things that we just miss as parents? They're just obvious right there in front of us. It would make us way better parents, but we just don't see them. Oh my goodness. That is a fantastic question. You know, I regularly have parents coming to see me and, and this is how it goes. And, and it's a great thing that they're coming in for this, but, but they're saying, you know, we think, we think our child may have a learning disability. We think they may have attention deficit disorder. We, we think they may have a, a, a sensory integration issue. You know, we're thinking about medication. What do you think? And I say to them, I said, well, hold on just a little bit. I said, before you make a major decision of a medication and you're trying to figure all this out, do yourself a favor and baseline your child for three months. And baselining your child is very simply this. It's removing all technology from their life, including television. They can't even, I mean, they get lights in the stove and the microwave, uh, but they, they can't even check the weather on a cell phone. Um, make sure they're eating three meals a day, especially breakfast. Make sure they have a regular bedtime every night, including weekends, same time every night where they're getting nine to 10 hours of sleep. Have them have a simple routine after school where they take care of their obligations of school and work first before they have their freedom and make sure they have ongoing daily physical activity for three months. Then you'll have more clarity about your child. Now, the crazy thing is for 30 years, I've done this and the vast majority of parents come back and they say, our child's normal. That's or we have our, we have our daughter back. We have our son back. And sometimes we overthink what's going on. We're looking for a boogeyman instead of saying, wait a minute, just how are we not allowing our child to live healthy? I almost wonder, Keith, if you flip that around and, and the parents did those things, then all of a sudden they would see their child as normal. <laughs> That's a whole nother discussion. But absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think we all need these antidotes you're giving. Very good. Keith, thanks so much. Got a question for Keith to answer on a future McCurdy moment? We'll send it to us at info at basecamplive.com and learn more about Keith McCurdy on the speaking page on the Basecamp Live website. I can't believe how much... Uh, time has zipped past us. We really need to do a uh, part two uh, conversation. Um, this has been absolutely fascinating to hear the work that you're doing. Um, Wade and Denise, let me start with a question for you. You know, if you, if, if God woke you up in another dream, which I, can happen, I think folks are going to go to bed tonight a lot more excited about what dreams may mean. Um, and he said, hey, you guys have done a great job there, but I want you back in Texas. I want you to come start a classical Christian school what would you bring back with you that would give you a, a perspective you would have never had had you not been there that might be something helpful for, uh, for school leaders to think about first, and then we'll talk about parents? Wade, Denise, go ahead, Wade. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so um, here in, in Indonesia, we're starting with 100 teachers who really don't know anything about classical education. So we are very intentional 
about trying to get on the same page with what does it look like to teach from a, a biblical worldview? What does it look like to teach classically? And how important that seems to be. And, and if we were to come back to America, I would. that's how I would start the school. It's first, we need to be on the same page as teachers, as educators. What does it mean really to teach classically? And what does it mean to teach from a biblical worldview? And not just take that for granted that we would know how to do that because we're Americans, right? Right. So that that's the lesson that I would learn is to be intentional about staff development. It's a, just, again, all these things could be very long conversations, but I know for most schools, continuing education is difficult. Often it means, you know, a day or two in August before school starts back and maybe an occasional once a year faculty training day thing. Um, what does it look like for you it, to be more intentional? What does that mean for you? You know, that's a great question. And we actually made a huge change uh, about three years ago. We advertised this to the parents and we were afraid there would be some pushback, but there wasn't. So we instituted something called Late Start Wednesday. So um, after the first two weeks of the start of the school year um, until right two weeks before the end of the semester. So within a semester, we have um, a good stretch. Usually it's about a, a 10 week period where we have students and um, students and parents get to have a little sleep in, a little lie in, and they come one hour late on Wednesdays and we shorten our Wednesday schedule so that we have a little bit shorter classes. So we rotate through the schedule correctly and get everybody yeah. accomplished but we're um, a little bit of a shortened day. So it's later, one hour late start. And then that means our teachers come and we have our professional development every Wednesday, that first hour of the morning. So we eat breakfast together and we do classical That's, you and we do yeah. breakout discussion groups and we do it when we're fresh and it's in the middle of the week. So it's the kids love it. They look forward to it. And our faculty and staff love it because we're not doing it at the end of an exhausting day. What a genius idea. And I, I've, I've known of a few U.S. schools have done that, but that makes all the sense in the world. Kids actually do need to sleep in sometimes and, and to have that rhythm of education. So what, what else, um, wait, Denise, if you came back to Texas, what else might you bring with you as a different perspective? I think definitely the relational aspect, that relationship is the key. And um, the relationship between a teacher and a student the relationship between a teacher and a parent, the relationship between a parent and a child, and the relationship that we have as a community. So, you know, Wade sort of explained it, but I, I, I think I was reading an article on Inc.com that says, with six words, Disney's CEO explained the existential threat facing the company. It's a lesson for every leader. And here's his one sentence, you know, um, answer. Your job is to jealously guard the soul of your company. Hmm. Wow. And I just, I think that, that's profound. That right? is profound <laughs> coming from someone whose definition of soul might be different, but yes, that's a, right. it's a great, right. it's, but, but the, you're right. I mean, you know, shame on us if we don't understand the seriousness of our calling and to work at it. And you know, it doesn't just cause you've taught that grade once or twice, doesn't mean you're, you're done preparing and thinking about it. So Right. Um, and, so, and we have to we have to push ourselves for that because right we get complacent and so sure. that means intentional at the end of every school year where we're really prayerful uh i mean we are on our knees a lot and we're saying lord we need your wisdom we need your grace and guidance and show us where we need to 
move a teacher out of a comfort zone that they have established and into a new place and opportunity for challenge and growth. Yeah. Because we all need that. Like Rerain is a great example. She's served all these different roles throughout the school. And she does that because she loves to learn. Yeah. And it's how you continue to be a learner is when you do new things. Yeah. We were we were talking over the break, Rerain. I love to hear you talk about your comment on communication as being one of the critical elements that makes the school work so well. Talk about what you see in communication. So we encourage, at school, we, we encourage our teachers to communicate to the parents of our students about everything that happened. Uh, not only to communicate the things that need to be improved from our students, but also the good things. So yeah, it, it's also uh, connecting with the relationship that Denise mentioned. To maintain a good relationship, we need to communicate <laughs> frequently uh so yeah we encourage our teachers yeah. to do so to the parents and also we encourage the parents to communicate everything to the teacher so we can help the parents to uh support yeah. the students or the children yeah yeah and we have, we have a theme um across each school year and and that's something that i learned in indonesia because we never did that you know at any other school i've ever been in but in it re at, at Chai Mungsa, they like to have a, a kind of a theme for the year. And I have really found that I love that because then it kind of creates this overarching theme for the whole community to kind of walk through together. So yeah. for instance, this year is, you know, the God's grand story, right? The um, creation, fall, redemption, recreation. So each of our four uh, school-wide chapels, you know, convocation chapel is the creation element and Christmas is going to be the fall, right? So it's the fall of man, a rescue mission begins, right? And then you have the Easter chapel, which is going to be obviously the redemption piece. And then the graduation chapel will be restoration. And so you sort of lead your community through these conversations in a big global way, but also in a really granular way because it's in the classroom as well. Now, that's really helpful. Let us let me just shift the question. So we kind of same idea, you're coming back to Texas, but now... Uh, as a parent, and and I should have mentioned earlier. So you your own children were how old? Remind me when they when you had the dream and it was they're like, wait, what did you say we're doing? <laughs> how, yeah, how, how old were they then? Because this will help frame the question I want to ask you. Right. So in two thousand seven, um, our youngest had just finished third grade, and then we had an entering seventh grader. Okay. And entering ninth grade so it was entering fourth entering seventh and entering wow ninth. so the the peak of the awkward the social time. years and you're going to pull exactly. them out <laughs> exact worst times to move your children overseas yeah some um mission organizations would say don't go you'll scar your children for that yep yep and, uh, <laughs> but we well, did because the lord said to well and it sounds like fast forward they've done very well and i know um they were, this was a, a inevitably and a, and a blessed, blessed experience for them. So if, if you came back and you were still actively parenting with, again, your children are all out of the home now, right? Is that? They are. They are. Yeah. We, we, all three of them are, are grown and our oldest is a veterinarian in Pennsylvania. And our second is a, you know, seminary student and also working at a grad school. And then our youngest is uh, doing what? logistics in Houston. And so they're all out in the world, but they all, finished a classical Christian education, did their thesis. They all finished at Regents. And, and honestly, they will all tell you to this day, they still talk about high school in a way that most people talk about college. Mm. Like there's such a, 
a wealth of growth that happened to them through their high school years. Definitely our time in Indonesia, as well as the things that they wrestled with through high school years that prepared them right. for a yeah. Because you, you guys brought them back to finish high school, and then the two of you yeah. empty nested straight back over. So, <laughs> so the question I'm trying, I want to get to, is just what what do you see having both led the school there that I think parents need to hear maybe again some perspectives that we might not so easily discover that you perhaps have discovered from your vantage point what would you say to parents you know when we brought our children here um especially when we extended for a year uh we had committed to two years and then we ended up extending a third year um from my husband's wise leadership um he said we need to stay one more year to solidify a few things before we go back um, our middle son really struggled with that. And he cried and cried and cried because he really was homesick and wanted to go home. And um, I remember the Lord just, you know, sharing with my own heart wisdom to give to him, which was, you know, son, if God has called mom and dad here, it also means he's called you here because he doesn't call mom and dad without calling everyone in the family because we are a mm-hmm. one. We are a unit. And, and that concept and that time that we spent as a family, kind of like us against the world, I, I think every family needs to go through something where they're serving, they're doing something outside of their comfort zone, and they're doing it as a family mm. because it teaches your children to trust the Lord and they watch you trust God in a way that they may not notice or see when you're just living your day-to-day life. Yeah. Well said, Wade. Yeah, I I think that um, we have seen even uh, here in Indonesia, students, just recently there's a story of a girl who we, um, you know, saw as as someone who just didn't grasp education, didn't want to be here, never did. And, um, and, you know, we prayed the, the seeds that were planted by our teachers have honestly come to fruition. And what we've learned is that just because you don't see a student responding positively at the time does not mean there's a, there's not a seed planted there that will grow into fruition. And she's this this girl who we had very little hope for, honestly, in our in our you know human way. Uh, she is calling the. Um, Bible teacher in, in telling her, thank you for giving me such important information that I didn't really pay attention to, hmm. but, but it was planted in her heart. And so that's the, that's the lesson yeah. for parents is that don't, you know, don't get too discouraged about the way your kids are acting right now. There is a seed that's been planted and, yeah. and we, we see that and it's really encouraging to us. That's so good to hear what you're right. I think it's too easy to get to the end of the 12th grade year and I didn't, you know, I, I bought a product. I expected this outcome in this exact way. And it is, um, it's God's, it's God's process. Well, I want to close out the time just by um, giving an invitation for those who are listening to get involved in what you're doing. I suspect there are those who are um, probably afraid to go to sleep tonight, worried about the dream coming and, <laughs> or maybe they're eager to go to sleep for the dream to come. Uh, and I don't mean to make light of that. I think that's, that's a beautiful gift and a beautiful story. And I do know that God moves in people's hearts to do what might've, you know, in prior, the year before seemed completely ludicrous. All of a sudden is exactly the thing they're supposed to be doing. So there is definitely a groundswell of people 
uh, who were saying, I want to do something kingdom-oriented with my life. I'd love to serve in a school. I'm not sure where. Is there an opportunity for someone who uh, is interested to maybe just come for a short-term visit? Are there long-term opportunities? What What would be helpful to you? Yeah, there would be both. So we would um, welcome anyone that wanted to come and see the work that we're doing here and also just partner with us in any small way because um, it's always refreshing when you have someone new come in and share classical Christian education, their perspective. That, that is always helpful and always welcome. Um, so even if it's just for a week and that's all you have and you happen to be on this side of the world, please pop on over. If you want to plan a, a trip intentionally, please contact us, look us up on the website and, 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 and tell us because we'd love to welcome you. Yeah, remind us of your website. We'll put it in the show notes, but where, where should people go to find you? www.chahayabungsa.org. So that may be a little tricky. Yeah, you might so. want to spell that out slowly. <laughs> yeah. www.chahayabungsa.org. All right. If somebody's driving, like that'll never happen. Remember info at basecamplive.com. Email me and I will make sure to connect back to, to the Stricklands to that'll make work. sure. <laughs> well, very good. Yeah, but we also have long-term positions available. In fact, our next year, we are going to be needing a rhetoric teacher for our 12th graders, and we're going to be needing a a 10th grade language arts teacher. Wow. Um, We are growing so exponentially. We just can't have teachers now do two parallel grade levels. So we need for every grade level seven through 12 in the language arts. Well, and the opportunity, and again, just again, a whole nother discussion could just be what God's doing throughout um, throughout Asia and, and East Asia in particular with you. So just as a final kind of comment, because I think this is so encouraging, is just the number, how many other schools are out there that have, that have you know, been developed in fairly, you know, last however decade or so that are now looking to you? Because it really sounds like God's put you there back to being the light to the nations, to really be a source of, of direction, encouragement. And so again, it may be somebody comes to you and then it becomes an opportunity to plant into a surrounding region. So how extensive is that reach that you have right now? Raveen, I'll let you speak to that because that's pretty much in the curriculum team's wheelhouse. So that's their their specific mission. So, uh, uh, Davis, could you please repeat again uh, the question? The question was, Raveen, about other schools that are looking to us, about how many other opportunities that we have. And so I was wanting you to share kind of a rough number and just some maybe a quick story about other schools that are looking to us for classical Christian okay. education. Okay. It's around probably eight or around 10 schools that's been working with us. And uh, uh, yeah, we help them that study from Cahaya Bangsa and we have the opportunity to bless them, those schools around uh, Indonesia is not only in uh, Java Island, actually. It's in Papua, a different island, and also in Sumatra, another different island. And also Kalimantan, another different island. We did also mission, uh, like uh, give a training for the teachers also there. Yeah, and yeah, some of them also in Java yeah. Island. Because as you were saying, there are schools all the way in what, Vietnam, Malaysia. I mean, it's a pretty big reach, yes. right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we actually, yeah, we've had uh, 
visiting schools from Singapore, Malaysia, and Vietnam. Um, in particular, there's one school in Vietnam that uh, right before the pandemic hit, he was just super excited. They came specifically to learn about classical Christian education, we gave them a copy of the liberal arts tradition. They read it, their team, they were sending me like screenshots of like where they were highlighting things. They're like, we didn't know something like this existed. I'm like, I'm so excited. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, we're going to uh, definitely have to have you back to continue these conversations. So exciting. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for uh, just being a light you really are to not only the nations around you but right back here into um into america where we we so often need to be reminded of god's active and faithful work around us so thank you for your time and uh, blessings to you and the great work you're doing Hey there, Basecamp Live listeners. This is Davy's daughter, Hannah, here. And I want to congratulate this amazing podcast on almost five years of incredible content, enriching interviews, and over 200 episodes. So that has brought so much encouragement to people. And thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for supporting this message, this mission. And there are a couple ways that you can help in sharing that message. First of all, please leave a five-star review on whatever app you are using to listen to this podcast. You can also share it with a friend. That's a great way to get the message out about Basecamp Live. And of course, share your story with us at info at basecamplive.com. There we'll also answer all your questions and more. And any topics that you'd like to hear too, please send them there to info at basecamplive.com. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks.